Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lisenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lisenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Happy Mercury Day, Kate. What is on the agenda today? Yeah, so today we are going to be talking about those magical places that us witches call altars. And while it's probably safe to assume that most witches or spiritual beings are familiar with an altar in one way or another, I don't want to exclude anyone who is just dipping their toes into the witchcraft waters. So Kate, what is an altar to you? Love it. Um, You know, for a long time, I didn't even realize that I was building altars. I would put a small token from my grandmother, a seashell, and a photo on a shelf. Or I would leave a little bit of rainwater and a geode next to some curled birch bark that I would tuck into a statue in a garden. But as I've gotten older, I've learned more about what an altar can or could do and not what they should do. And there's so much room to play there. I think to me, altars are spaces built intentionally. They may contain sacred items, items to channel energy, or to support an intention like a spell. I love the idea of unintentional altars because I think that's something that many of us can relate to, Mm -hmm. my childhood self in particular. But yeah, simply put, an altar is a magical workspace. I know that when I first started intentionally practicing magic, I thought my altar needed to look a certain way or include certain things, but the more I tried to do whatever I thought I was supposed to be doing, it started to feel inauthentic and confusing. Mm -hmm. And that's when I accepted that there are no rules when it comes to altars. So even though we're going to talk about the history of altars and share some ideas and things we can incorporate into our magical workspace— Your altar might not look anything like what we describe, and that's perfectly okay. Take what resonates and leave the rest. Absolutely. Before we get into setting up an altar and the more traditional things that people use, and some untraditional as well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the history of altars. Because even though we're referencing the witch's altar, altars appear in almost every religious, spiritual, and magical practice out there. During my research, I discovered that the Hebrew name for altar translates to a place of slaughter, which sounds scary, but also makes sense when we consider that altars were originally a place for making sacrifices, or somewhere where you might burn something as an offering and then let the smoke deliver it to the heavens. Other translations from various languages and cultures for altar include the throne and the sanctuary. Yeah, and I also read that it's influenced by the Latin word altus, which translates to high. So that could be seen as a bridge, perhaps, between the earthly and the other world, so to speak. I love that idea. 
and it also makes a lot of sense. Traditional altars, at least the ones we see in ancient Egypt, Greece, and throughout parts of Latin America and Europe, were originally made from earth or clay. And they were rather nondescript, you know, like a simple-looking platform with a couple of mounds or bowl-like sections to burn something or hold sacred water or another liquid or element. In our water magic episode from season one, I mentioned that in the old world, places where fresh water naturally bubbled up from the earth were considered sacred. And depending on where we live, that still might be the case. There's reason to believe that these naturally occurring sacred sites, be it a freshwater spring, a specific tree, a stone, a cave, were in fact the original altars. Usually, they were community altars where people would gather at certain times of the year to celebrate solstices, equinoxes, and events related to the seasons or certain gods and goddesses. When Christianity came around, the altar changed pretty drastically. It was then considered the Lord's table, a place to speak with the divine. Altars were moved indoors, typically as the focal point of a church, where the bishops, priests, and only the holiest of individuals were allowed to get close and interact. Instead of the simple earth and clay altars, Christian altars were infused with gold and rare elements like expensive specialty woods and textiles. They may also include holy water, a Bible, candles, images of Jesus, Mary, or a saint, a crucifix, the sacrament, and some incense usually frankincense and myrrh. And fun fact, in some of the most ancient churches, saints and other holy individuals were buried beneath the altar, making it that much more powerful and sacred. And I've actually visited some of these old Catholic churches in Spain and also the Netherlands, where almost the entire floor is laid with these large tiles or stones engraved with the names of whoever is buried underneath. And even here in the Azores, there are catacombs beneath certain church floors. As we're well aware, Christianity and witchcraft have had a rather torrid relationship over the years. And it's easy to see that Christianity assimilated many of the relics and concepts from the pagan altar and claimed them as their own. Similar to the altars we see in modern churches and temples, on a witch's or pagan's altar, we might also see a representation of a deity, a chalice or something that holds liquid, incense, an altar cloth, a sacred symbol like the pentagram or in some cases a pentacle, a sacred book like a book of shadows, also food, candles, and an offering plate. Some other suggestions for a witch's altar include a bell, a bowl of salt, a wand, a cauldron, an othame, or a ceremonial knife, which sounds dark, but I don't know. I have a knife that my grandfather used to use while metal detecting, and today I use it more as a wand or something to direct energy rather than cut something. Also herbs, live plants, flowers, a compass, singing bowls, divination tools like a pendulum or tarot cards, crystals, and a mirror. Kate, what am I missing? Hmm. 
It's funny that you bring up the knife because I actually I have a um a tip of an old bayonet that I use in the pl- in the place of a knife. But oh, I love that. <laughs> I just love the idea of an altar for everything. Um, and this can mean a seasonal altar or an ancestor altar or an altar that asks. On my altar, I usually keep a woodcut from my grandma Joyce, a turquoise pony from my mom deer bones, a found luna moth from a friend, and a snakeskin that I caught while fishing. Then I add in different candles. Maybe their colors or wax or carvings are symbolic of the wheel of the year or whatever I'm going through at that moment. And I leave offerings of mugwort, rose, or cedar. Sometimes I leave cider or red wine or even just a small dish of water. Because I feel like giving something to the altar makes it feel in reciprocation with my own life. Because altars change and move and breathe. To me, my altar is a place where I can go to be reminded of magic in my home or sacredness in the everyday. It's dedicated and personal. I'm not even sharing the entire altar here in this conversation because I feel like in some way that would be like telling a full secret. And I love that sort of covenant that I get to have here with my space. Oh, absolutely. And I love the idea of an altar moving and breathing and treating it not just as a sacred workspace, but as an entity on its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was taught to bring in each of the elements from the directions into an altar, but I know that's not an across the board or for everyone thing, and it's definitely not prescriptive. Though water is associated with the West, you could add a seashell instead of actual water or a photo of your grandmother because the West is home of our grandmother's grandmothers. And maybe instead of a flame, um, you incorporate an orange or red crystal to honor the South. And there are just so many interpretations and room to make it really yours. I also keep a mini altar here on my desk that reminds me to tap into creative abilities, to speak the truth with clarity and kindness, and to allow me freedom of thought. And I I also love the idea of non-traditional altars. Like I mentioned during Maya's interview, I feel very bodily altered, and I believe that fashion choices in some ways can help remind us of our own body's divinity and presence as a channel. I definitely love to dress a certain way when performing rites and rituals, and my tattoos, jewelry, and makeup are similarly and intentionally created. Each of my rings has a story behind them, and many of them have been present for most of my adult life. It's like dressing up for a celebration, but instead of a dinner party, it's a meeting with the moon. You know, something like this. But do you have any sacred clothing items? Yeah, definitely. And I'm happy you mentioned this because after our conversation with Maya, you and I were talking about appearance and Mm -hmm. how the clothes we wear and how we do our hair, whether or not we wear makeup, all of that stuff might sound vain from a superficial standpoint, Mm -hmm. but it can actually serve as a form of devotion and embodiment. Like, what does it look like for me to embody Bridget or Hecate or Persephone yeah, I love I love this. And for certain Sabbaths, like our upcoming Samhain, I'll definitely put on something that speaks to that essence. A long dress, my grandmother's jewelry, some lipstick, whatever helps me in that moment to embody the dark goddess. Mm. But I'll 
also from an everyday magic perspective, I'm pretty minimalist because farm life requires its own unique style, (laughs) but I also feel like that's part of my magical and devotional practice. Like on the daily, I'm in the dirt. The garden is my altar. And I think the fairies and ancestral spirits here appreciate my cutoffs in a sun hat. I think if I was out there working the land in a gown, makeup melting off my face, spirit might need to have some words with me. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, But also, wow, like the garden as an altar, I think that's so tactile and beautiful. Um, Last week, I was listening to Michelle from Holisticism, and she was speaking about wearing different scents and perfumes to embody different archetypes. And I just love the idea of bringing all of the senses into this embodiment. Yeah, you know, perfume, essential oils, even putting flowers in the house. All this is a way to use scent for embodiment. I also often think of poems as word altars. And this is a practice that I bring into my writing. Like I see how they interact with the space how they're built with different totems in each line, how they're woven together for intention, dedication, and to honor and bless those that come into contact with them. Sometimes they're channeled even. Um, Do you do any language as altar work as a word witch? Ah, That's a good question. Um, What comes to me off the top of my head, I guess, is journaling Mm -hmm. and writing for the sake of writing not because we're getting paid or graded on the outcome. (laughs) I keep a journal within reach at all times, sort of like a portable altar, I suppose, because it's a way for me to plug into source no matter where I'm at. Often I'll just scribble random questions or thoughts that arise throughout the day. And even though I've learned to expect it at this point, I'm still always so surprised how and when the answers come through. Yeah, the sort of like spontaneous magic. Yes. I also love the idea of earth altars. And I think that these were something that came really instinctually to me as a child, which I mentioned earlier. And I think that this was a big part of my relationship to the fairy world. So I would make little altars and houses for the fae in the garden. And it was seasonal because each aspect of these spaces was found in the earth itself. So we made the houses to honor the seasons. In the summer, the houses and altar spaces included crystalline pools or shady fern canopies. And in the winter, we would dig out the earth and add moss, sturdy bark roofs, etc. And I think that this tactile element of working in the earth with the earth to make art or altars as a thank you is a part of witnessing or noticing, which is a way to honor the spaces and the land that you live on. Yeah. Um, But Kristen, I'm curious, like if you could only make an altar with three items in this moment, what would you use? Oh, man. Um, Definitely a candle. Mm -hmm. Also a journal, of course. And then for my third item, I think I'd either go with a plant, Mm -hmm. but also maybe a mirror because I love portals and I love mirror gazing. What about you? Yeah, mirror gazing, whenever I hear about that, I think about you. (laughs) It's hard to answer my own question. Um, At this moment, like if I did it right now, I would incorporate a bone, some water, 
and a candle as well as maybe a blessing over these items so that would then cover east south west and north beautiful choices thank you before we finish for today like what advice do you have to someone who has never built an altar before but is ready to try I think like you've mentioned, beginning with some elemental items is a good place to start. I have all the elements represented on my altar, but right now when I look at it, I see lots of earth and fire compared to the others. Mm -hmm. So my altar mimics what I'm working with right now, which is really helpful to see. Mm -hmm. I would also suggest that building an altar be an intuitive process. Let your personality shine through Add something silly, um, a vision board, a picture of your childhood self, something that you love, even if you don't know why you love it. Mm. What do you think? I love those. Um, You know, I would just say go for it. Like You can't be wrong if you're building a space with love and intention and with items that have meaning for you. And I know it can be scary as a chronic perfectionist and people pleaser. I've been trying to work my way back from that for years. But once you build one, you'll begin to notice that space in yourself that you can tap in and listen to that's true for you. And I believe that that right there is the best altar there is. Agreed. so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune into next week's episode where Kristen and I speak about the magic of the crone. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>